was kind of nice to wake up to the sound of rain and thunder. Um, it makes it hard to get out of bed, but I actually really enjoy that. And it's been such a dry summer and into the fall. It's just nice to feel the earth being replenished and, um, and cooling down. I know that starting next week, we're going to get, uh, or starting maybe later this week, we're going to get a, a nice good cool down and, and it's going to feel like fall. Uh, and I welcome that. I, it, the, my favorite thing about living here is having four distinct seasons. I didn't really get that growing up. Uh, and so it's really nice to have a fall. And um, I'm excited about it. even stuff that's pumpkin spice flavored that doesn't have to be. Um, I, I appreciate everybody's contribution to the season. You know, we've been in this series uh, dealing with the role of God in our life, the different areas of our life in which God uh, provides a different perspective. We talked about God as our creator, our existence being the result of God's loving creation to build something that was new, to place something in a wonderful home for us to live. We talked about God as our protector. We talked about God as our provider. And today we're going to talk about an aspect of God that actually kind of includes some of those other things. Because throughout Scripture, God is referred to most often as our Father. He's, he's referred to as the Father in reference to uh, the, the Son and the Spirit. That it, this part of the, the, tri- the Trinity, as we call it, God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that that's the relationship they have with one another. But that relationship is also conveyed to us because we are called, referred to as children of God, and we are encouraged to be like children of God, as we read uh, in the scripture that Christian read for us. The relationship we have to God is most often put in the context of fathers and children. And that has many, many different facets. One thing I love about how scripture... uh, puts things together, if you will, the the analogies that scripture draws to help us understand relationships is that they're so comprehensive because we are the children of God. That also means that we're siblings with one another and we call each other brother and sister. And, And that also means that that's how we should treat one another. There's a lot in scripture that references the, the paternal nature of God. And from our creation, which we certainly know fathers have a part in, we understand the relationship of fatherhood being the creation of, being part, in part, the creation of life. We understand fatherhood as a protective relationship and as a relationship of provision. Um, and we understand God a little bit through that concept. So in that way, uh, a lot of what we've already talked about can kind of fit into that definition of God, the Father. But there's something perhaps a little more fundamental about the relationship of fathers and children that we need to talk about. It's something that's kind of wired into us. Now, I'm going to be speaking in generalities about the relationship of fathers and children. I know that not everyone has the same relationship with parents, um, and some have been very positive, and some have probably been very negative. And so I'm going to speak in generalities, uh, and I hope you understand that. Um, And I speak from my experience as well. But from a very young age, from the time that children are able to identify their their parents, uh, but particularly a father, 
there is a, a relationship that develops. When my kids first realized I'm dad and I'm going to be around for a while and I mean something somehow, I can remember that moment because there for a little while, they really don't care who you are. They don't care what you are. They don't even realize it. You know, self-awareness takes a while to develop, sometimes into adulthood for some folks. But at least as children, it, they, it takes a little while to realize, oh, you're the one that's going to take care of me and keep me alive. And, when, and, and, you know, once the disappointment faded from my children's faces when they realized that, um, then th they developed this relationship of wanting to win my approval, wanting to impress me. And uh, it must be a tough life for a child because when you're like a year old, you can run into the room uh, with like, you know, a grape in your hand and say, look, I have a grape. And you say, oh my goodness, that's wonderful. You have a grape. You are so smart. And by the time you're three and you run in, it's like, give me that. Where'd you get that? Don't pick stuff off, stuff off the floor. You know, it, it must be really hard to understand as a child that you only have a small window in which to impress people the cute wears off. It's a really sad fact of life. But early on, there is this desire we have to please our parents. We want to do things that make them happy. We want to do things that, make, that bring joy, that make, us, that make them smile. We want to win approval. We have that kind of relationship from the moment we realize that they're significant. And the other thing we notice in children as they develop is the, the mimicry of children. They tend to model what they see. That can be stuff that's very, very deep in terms of personality and temperament, but it can also be something very surface level in terms of just outward appearance. I can remember as a child doing this very thing that I have seen my children do. And that was I would go into my dad's closet and I would slide my feet into his what seemed like enormous shoes and I would stumble and plod around the house claiming to be my father. Um, I never fooled my mom. She seemed to always see right through that disguise. But uh, in the last couple of years, Jack, our youngest, has seen my shoes sitting around and has put them on and walked around and proclaimed, I'm dad, I'm dad, because he's in my shoes. There is this mimicry and this identification that we have with our parents, and we want to see something about our parents in ourselves. We have a desire to make a connection and to solidify that relationship and what it means. I think the same is true with our relationship with God, or at least it should be. Because if he is our father, then that means something about who we are. My children look like me. To varying degrees and in varying ways, they do. They look like me. And mom. Thank you, Jack, for clarifying. They also look like mom. That's the better part. But my children also sometimes act like me. Sometimes I say things now and I think, oh my goodness, that sounded like my mom or my dad. We tend to inherit certain traits. We tend to inherit certain temperaments and personalities. Some nature, some nurture, but ultimately there is a lineage that develops of things that we inherit from our parents that they inherited from their parents that they inherited from their parents. It's fascinating to think that even just a very, very small fraction of my genetic makeup 
is present generations ago, hundreds of years ago, somewhere else in what would eventually become me. Really, really fascinating to think about. And yet these things are passed down. And if that's the relationship of children and fathers, then the relationship of Christians to their God must also share a similar kind of, of relationship, a similar kind of, of connection. We see it throughout Scripture. We, we could point to various Scriptures that refer to God as the Father or refer to our relationship to Him as the Father. But I love Ephesians chapter 5 because Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he is encouraging them to continue in their faithfulness. And one of the things he really emphasizes in, in these early chapters, in, chapter, in the mid-chapters 4 and 5, he talks about looking like what you claim to be. He literally talks about walking the walk of a Christian. He talks about how you act, how you behave, the choices you make, the words you speak. Now, we are often told that we don't judge people by their actions. We judge their heart or, or we look at their heart. We don't judge at all. We just we, we want to see the person's heart, right? It's the thought that counts. We talk a lot about that in our culture about looking beyond behavior to just seeing intention or just seeing a person's, um, um, you know, their, their in, uh, inert kind of traits. But behavior does matter, according to the book of Ephesians. How we live does matter. And Paul is very careful to make the point that it's not that how you behave gets you into heaven or gets you kicked out of heaven. It's how you behave is a reflection of who you are. And I know if, you, if you're a teacher, if you spend time in a classroom, and if you've been at it for very long, you eventually have the children and some, at a certain point, even the grandchildren of some of your early students. That happens. And, or you have siblings, maybe. Oh, that's a tough one. I feel bad because I was born 10 years before my next uh, sibling. And by the time he got to school, a lot of the ones I had 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 retired. So he got lucky. But some of the younger ones were still there. And he, unfortunately, had to be kind of prejudged based on what they knew about me. So, you know, if you have multiple generations or you have people that are related, sometimes you see certain traits and you go, oh, yeah, you're one of those. You're definitely your father's child. You know, we hear those kinds of phrases. There, is, there are characteristics that we assign to family members because we understand the nature of those relationships. And so what Paul says in Ephesians is if you're going to carry the name of a Christian, you need to look like a Christian. You need to act like a Christian. While it is grace through faith that saves us, while it is the love of God expressed in the death of Christ that brings us into union with the Father and into a righteous relationship, we do not merit or earn those things, but we do respond in a change of our life. The way James puts it in his, in his epistle is essentially this. If accepting Jesus Christ does not change the way you see the world, the choices you make, and the way you behave, then you need to ask yourself if your faith is real. It is possible for two things to be true at the same time. We are saved by faith, 
but we are changed by the faith. And Paul also echoes that sentiment. And he, he says in Ephesians that you need to act more like what you claim to be. Don't just call yourself a Christian. Because A, if you don't live like a Christian, you're a liar. And if you don't live like a Christian, but you call yourself a Christian, you damage the reputation of Jesus. Paul says, don't do that. For your sake, for the church's sake, live like what you've been called to. Live like what your name suggests. Do we place a lot of emphasis on our family name? Maybe less so now than we once did. But I think throughout human history, it's been a very important thing that we take very seriously. It used to be the case that it was super important that you carry on your family's lineage. You know, everybody wanted to have male heirs that could carry on their name. Uh, Henry VIII uh, went through, he paid a lot of alimony. Well, no, he didn't because he killed some of them. But he went through a lot of wives because he was trying to get a male heir because he wanted to carry on his family name and carry on his lineage. We, that's been a part of our, our culture. That maybe is a little less so now, but we do think about our name. And we think about how our behavior reflects our name. We care about reputation. We care about how we live and how we represent who we are. Paul in Ephesians says the same is true of the Christian. If God is your father, then you need to take very seriously what you say about your family in how you live. And look at the verse that Christian read. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You should act like God's children. Imagine that. See that image in your head. Think about what we were just talking about, how children behave with their parents. They want to win their approval. They want to be seen. They want to be noticed. And they want to do the things that please that parent. Now, God is not withholding his attention or withholding his affection, waiting on us to do some song and dance to impress him so he can love us. The love is already there. It's not about earning his love or his attention. It's about the desire to please him. And that comes from us. That comes from us. That is the nature of children. The nature of children is to seek approval, to bring pleasure, to get a positive response. We do it not because our salvation rests on it, but because we are grateful for the salvation that we have. And so as children, we sort of, slip our feet into the shoes and walk around the house and say, look at me, I'm just like my father. That's the imagery that Paul is expressing in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Imitators of God the Father. Imitators of our Father means that just as children want to look like their parents, we want to try and look like God. We want to dress up like our father. We want to talk the way he talks. We want to look the way he looks and act the way he acts. We have that desire just as every child does. Verse 2, he says, And walk in love just as Christ also loved you 
and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Be like Jesus because his sacrifice, his offering, you know, that's what they were doing in the Old Testament when they would put a burnt offering on, on an altar, that smoke would go up, and that was them sending this offering to God, this aroma, this smell. And look, I, you ever been to, uh, like, you're on tailgating or been outside around somebody doing some barbecuing? Okay, burnt offerings can smell pretty good, all right? I mean, brisket is all right if it's been on a smoker overnight. If, if, I, I consider God to be a fan of barbecue. Clearly not pork barbecue, but at least he likes smoked meat. And I think that's a wonderful image of that smoke going up into heaven and him receiving that aroma. And Paul says, when Jesus gave his life on the cross, that's what he was doing. He was standing in as that offering, that fragrance, that pleasing aroma to God. He was seeking to please the Father. We are to be imitators of the Father, to dress up and try to look like Him, and to love others and to care for others the way Jesus did, because He has shown us the way to be pleasing to God. And so we follow His example as children to be imitators. If we read down further in this passage, we see more encouragement in the same way. Verse 15 of chapter 5, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what God wants. Understand what his purpose is in this world and try to chase after it. It says, Do not get drunk with much wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now here's a couple of verses here, by the way. And, and, and I talk about this in this week's uh, lesson on Ephesians online. Uh, but these are a couple verses from which we, we get some traditional doctrines in uh, the church, particularly in the churches of Christ, with regard to alcohol and with regard to how we handle music and singing. And I want to set that aside for a minute because I think, I think there's been some cultural influences uh, and things that have pulled things out of these verses that aren't really there. Um, because... Regardless of how you feel about using instruments and instrumental music uh, in church services, this verse here about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is not about that, okay? And we need to be careful not to make it about that because we miss the point. So look at these two things together. He says, don't get drunk on much wine, which again, because of cultural influence has, has been, especially where I grew up, this has been made into saying Christians can't drink alcohol, Okay. Um, and I've heard people go so far as to say that the word drunk is just the past tense of the word drink. Therefore, if you drink water, you're drunk on water. So you can't have a sip of any. So no cough medicine, I guess, is what they're saying. But these two verses here have been used to make a lot of different rules that aren't necessarily what these verses are trying to do. All right. But I want to set that aside. I want to look at what these verses. I think a great disservice has been done to these verses as it relates to our sonship, okay, our childlike relationship to God. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk on much wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So these are two things juxtaposed. Don't be intoxicated and out of control of your mind and filled with impulse and wild behavior 
but rather be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We want to look like the Father. That means you don't let something else control your life. You live a life of moderation. You don't let something else take control of your behavior. You live a life of discernment. And we don't relate to each other through the impulsive, wild slurs of the tongue that make no sense because we've let something else infiltrate our heart and live within us. Whether that is literally certain beverages or whether it's anything that would distract us and misdirect us from looking like the Father. If we are the children of God, we are spirit-filled people. We are filled with the essence of our Father. We look like the rest of the family. And we speak to each other like the rest of the family. I would not show up to a family gathering intoxicated because I have too much respect for my family to waste the time that we have together being out of control of who I am. And Paul, using that as an example, says, don't waste your time letting something else guide you to being something you're not. Because of the respect and the love we have for our father and for our fellow children, we are to speak words of love and encouragement guided by the spirit, not by the world. These two verses that we, when we read them, we instantly think about one thing or another that tends to be somewhat of a controversial issue in the history of the church. What if we actually just looked at these verses for what Paul's trying to tell the people he's writing to? He's saying, you are children of God. Therefore, you should live like it. Don't look like the world. Don't look like the culture, don't reflect the society, don't reflect the standards of man, reflect the standard of God, look like the father, imitate your father, and that means that the world doesn't have a grasp over us, it doesn't have a grip on us, it doesn't intoxicate us and distract us, it doesn't fill us with foolishness, we are spirit-filled people, we are filled with the spiritually genetic code of our Father. And we look like Him, and we sound like Him, and we act like Him to the best of our ability. That's what Paul's encouraging. Jesus told a story about a father one time, a father who in patience and in love gave his son something that he was asking for even though he wasn't ready for it. Remember the story of the prodigal son? He says, I'm ready to be on my own. I want my inheritance now. I'm out of here. And the father gives it to him. Now, the father knows this is foolishness, but he gives it to him anyway. And I think of that like God, who in his patience and his love gives us the freedom to walk through this life and make choices. I've always wondered, if God really wanted us all to be saved, why didn't he just make us robots, right? Why didn't he just make us to serve him? Why did he give us this free will? Why did he make it so hard sometimes to live pure lives? How do we know we need God 
unless we see our own failure. How do you know you need a lifeguard until you're drowning? How do you know you're in danger until the fire is upon you and you cry out for help? God made us to be weak so that we could see the predicament of the human condition and cry out to him. And in his patience and love, he, gave, he gives us this life and sends us into the world, much like the prodigal son. Inevitably, we fail. Inevitably, we suffer. And I, I, I love reading about the son. He's, now he's, he's at rock bottom, what we would call it. He's feeding pigs. He's thinking about eating the pig slop because he's so hungry. And he's rehearsing this speech to himself that he's going to tell his dad when he goes home where he's going to beg for a job. I don't care about being your son anymore. I know I blew that. Just give me a place so I can sleep and eat. Just give me a job. How many of us have reached that point in life where we've said to ourselves, I think I've gone too far for God to love me. Have you ever been there? Maybe you haven't. I know some people that have. Maybe I've gone too far for God to accept me. And what the son found out was not only did the father let him live back at the estate, but he wasn't going to hire him as a worker. He welcomed him back as a son. Our relationship to God as our creator, as our protector, as our provider is all wrapped up in the concept of God being our father. He sits looking at the horizon, waiting for the day when his child will return to him. And he runs and welcomes the child. There's no question there's no precondition. That father doesn't want to know where he's been or what he's done. It doesn't matter. All that matters is his son is home. One day we're going to return home. In many respects, as Christians, we already have. But one day we will permanently. And God will be waiting to welcome us, his children returning to him. Wherever you find yourself on that journey, the stubborn child running away from home, squandering your wealth and fortune, rock bottom in a pigsty, or whether you're thinking about reciting that speech as you walk through the front gate, just asking for a job so you can eat. Your father is waiting already to welcome you. I can remember when I was younger, getting into trouble or misbehaving in some way, and my dad did the thing that dads do, you know, you had to have a talking to, you get punished, whatever, and I was probably crying because I was kind of a sensitive kid, and he said, he always made sure that after some kind of punishment was exacted upon me, that he comforted me, gave me a hug. And he said, you know, I love you and I'm, I'm proud of you. And I'm sure through tears and gasps of air and snot, I probably said, how can you be proud of me? How can you be proud of me when I've done something bad? And my dad looked at me and he said, because you're mine. Because you belong to me. I thought that was a pretty powerful thing to say. 
but it wasn't until later when I realized that he might have stolen that from somewhere. Because in Scripture, God says, when you pass through the fire, I'm going to be with you. And the flames aren't going to burn you. And when you pass through the water, I'm going to be there with you. And the waves aren't going to come over you. Why? Because I'm God and you belong to me. That's what he says. It's in Isaiah. I'm God and you're mine. How can God love us despite our humanity? Because he's God and we're his. We're his children. And we should live like it. If you need help in that journey, if you need encouragement, if you need support, if you need prayers or study, we want to offer you help as a, as a congregation. We are a family, and we help one another along when we find ourselves in those places. We have a loving father, and we should be loving siblings. The children don't get to decide who the other children are. Only the father does, and he says we're all welcome. And he wants us to come to him. So with love and with comfort and with humility, we care for one another. And if you need anything this morning, let us know as Jonathan comes and leads us. Jesus has said, I'll never forsake thee. Promise divine that never can fail. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, flooding my soul with glory divine. Hallelujah, I am rejoicing, singing his praises. Jesus is mine in the bright sunlight. Ever rejoicing, pressing my way to mansions above, singing his praises, gladly I'm walking, walking in sun.